Welcome back, Seahawks Nest fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined, as always, by the Walter Sobchak, to my dude, it's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? I could not be happier. Oh, you could not be happier. All right. That's excellent to hear. And our very own Donnie, it's Eric Ronovec. Eric, how you doing? Who's Shut the, the fuck up, Donnie. <laughs> you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. Who's the Chinaman, dude? <laughs> the Chinaman is not the issue here. So, uh, yeah. Hey, Lebowski, that's your yeah, name, dude. This podcast is a day it's late a because, because we have we have added a, a brand new member to the uh, the Seahawks, Swaddlers, the Legion of Poop, uh, whatever you want to say. I had a, <laughs> I had a kid, so um, that's why we're a, a day late on this one, but like... like uh, like like my life now. We never sleep at the Seahawks Nest podcast. You get a new episode every week, even despite births, it still happens. So here we are, uh, another day, another uh, I would say dollar, but we don't really make any money off this podcast. <laughs> uh, so let's talk. Let's first let's let's uh, let's talk about some NFL news. Uh, and the big news this week was Jimmy Garoppolo is now the highest paid player in the NFL. Uh, I, I, it is well known in this podcast. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is good at football. Uh, if you're if you're a Patreon subscriber, you've heard me talk about it for a couple of weeks now, or in a couple of weeks, five weeks. You know, I was, every week I was like, this guy's a really good football player. Five years, one hundred and thirty-seven million dollars for a guy who's only started five NFL games is j- more than a bit much. Uh, you know, there's part of me I actually like uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I just am the counterweight to all the overhype. Yeah, you're trying to you're trying to you're trying to put the brakes on the hype train. That, Kevin's trying to bring trying to us do. back down to earth. Basically. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to bring you back to earth. And the thing about this contract is, you know, there's a shade there's a there's a Schadenfreude part of me that's like, I really hope that he just like browns all over them. I mean you but, had a San Francisco, you had a you had an excellent cap situation for about twenty one days. Yeah, San Francisco, this is why you can't have nice things. See Levi Stadium. The thing about this contract is what else was San Francisco gonna spend the money on? Joe Staley? No, and really, they invested in a quarterback, which you know we've talked on this podcast numerous times about how that is—it's hard to come by. And I don't know, like Brock Osweiler with the Texans, you just got to make your mark. You got to make your play where you can. I'm this, glad you picked something that worked out. This exactly. the, the Jimmy G thing here is that the, a lot of the money's guaranteed, so they're they're putting their faith in it big time. Um, this the, by the time that the NFL next NFL season starts, this will be at best the fourth highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Because Aaron Rodgers is getting a new deal, Matt Ryan's getting a new deal, and Kirk Cousins is going to make more money than this. That's so, a shame. So, at best, it will be fourth. That makes it seem a little better, just on paper. It, but I really think they could have got this done for less money at the end of the day. Um, but they did what it took to make sure that he was a San Francisco 49er next year. So, good for them, I guess. Because he could have walked. I mean, they could have just paid him the franchise tag. That, that's what bugs me about this the most is the franchise tag was like basically, I think it was less. It was less. It was yeah. less than they're paying him on an annual basis. This contract raised the franchise tag by $2 million for quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, but if you look at that, that means it's only a one-year deal and you would have to pay him again next year or risk like a Kirk Cousins situation. Right, sure. You're taking a risk, but but at the end of the day, this is this is a risk. This Are you going to have to pay him more than this? They tied up $100 million guaranteed dollars in in Jimmy Garoppolo, a guy who has started what five NFL games? He won all of them. That's true. I'm I'm into that, right? He won all five of them, but that's that's a huge huge risk. Um, next next story I got for you: Jaguars finally will remove the last of the tarps from their stadium. <laughs> uh, it only took them getting to the AFC Championship. That's that's what it took. I them. can't wait until two years down the road. The next story is uh, Jaguars re- return of the tarps. Yeah. <laughs> That's their Super Bowl, Kevin. They because, removed the tarps. That's right. Because uh, Florida cannot support a football team. 
We haven't. We talked about the, the Super Bowl on this podcast already, right? We already did. All right, good. Uh, Just making ooh, sure. Can I? Uh, biggest news in personnel: Sebastian Janikowski not returning after 18 years. Free agent. Yeah, he is a free agent. Uh, he must really hate Gruden. That's my. That's my take. That's got to be it, right? No, Oakland said that he is. They they do not plan on bringing him back. This is a franchise Oakland franchise decision. Oh, that's sad. Uh, he's a, they, he's apparently just too cool, and they can't deal. Yeah. Um, Gruden feels threatened. The Eagles. So here's, there's there's the whole Colts thing. Okay, this this Colts thing with Josh McDaniels. McDaniels is going <laughs> to the Colts. He's not back now. Frank Reich is their coach. So Eagles lost their entire offensive coaching staff. Yeah, they Dee lost Filippo's their QB the coach. The OC in the Vikings. Right, and 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 Frank Reich was their offensive coordinator before. Uh, a lot of people think they're going to promote from within, which mean like Deuce Staley will be their their wow. offensive coordinator. Um, so okay, <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Well, there's uh, uh there's, these guys. These guys are really important in turning Wentz around. I mean, Doug Peterson's their play caller, for sure. But day-to-day, these are the guys that got Wentz to be, run a really high-functioning offense in practice and kept it running when Nick Foles came in. So, for me, uh, I don't know. The Eagles are in a, in a weird spot for next year where they could be really good again or they could they could suck. They could be, they could be like 9-7, and seven, no problem. If I'm the Eagles, I'm looking at the college ranks to bring in somebody at least for the QB coach position from an offensive coordinator standpoint. Because Wentz is still at that point in his career where he needs a teacher, he needs a mentor, and that's something that Frank Reich really provided. Yeah. When you had Peterson and you had Reich, you had two experienced NFL quarterbacks that could really help them navigate the ins and the outs. And these are two guys that played uh, the bridge quarterback between, um, you know, when when a when a rookie came in like Peterson was for McNabb. These are guys that has have helped out early career NFL players. Right, and like I mean. Frank Frank Reich sat behind like, these guys both sat behind the same guys for uh, for multiple years, right? Yeah. Like Frank Reich was on the Bills for like ten years, and um, uh, Peterson was on the Packers for like ten years. These guys stuck around on the same teams because they were trusted to. If our actual star quarterback goes down, if Jim Kelly or Brett Favre gets hurt, this guy will be decent. He knows our offense, and he's trusted. Um, they're steady hands. They they're experienced NFL players. They played a long career. Um, so yeah, how you I, feeling, Eric? I'm just thinking, if you're going to bring a college guy in, don't bring in an ego. Because that's, that's something that will regress your quarterback. Well, that's the thing. College coordinators aren't allowed to have an ego because there's too much wrapped up in the coach. I feel like you have to be really diligent about this if you're the Eagles. And they're actually, uh, they're looks like they're not going after Del Bevel. Surprise. Uh, he could be going to the Eagle. I'm sorry, the Giants. Bevel got hosed in this whole thing because Bevel... Bevel was supposed to be the OC for Indianapolis. He was going to be the guy who, you know, work, does the practices for for McDaniel's while McDaniel's calls the plays in the game. Yep. And um, so he he had basically been hired by the Colts already. He was in the building, and then they got the call. I'm I'm just going to say I think Bevel would have landed somewhere in the NFL if it wasn't for that. But then now all the spots are basically filled. Yeah, he's going to have to take that. He'll probably end up with a consulting job for a year. What and about then the Giants OC. Yeah, Giants OC is taken. Quality can really Shula. Yeah, sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Last time I heard was that Bevel yeah. was up for quality. That. Quality. Yeah, he'll be a bad. quality control coach for some team. You know, he'll be QC QC coach for some team, and he'll do a good job. And then he'll get an OC job next year or the year after that. Yep. He's just gonna have to take a couple of years off, or he'll be the head coach of Idaho. I don't know what one or the other. So um, that's all the NFL news I had identified as something I wanted to talk about. Kevin, is there anything I missed? A uh, couple of small things. Uh, the Jets promoted Jeremy Bates to offensive coordinator. Yep. A little Seahawks tie there. Yep. Um. AJ McCarron rumors are heating up, which tells you how bad the quarterback situation is in the NFL. 
I really I just wanted to bring up the term AJ McCarron quarterback rumors heating just because I knew it would bother Nathan. Yeah, um, I don't know. The AJ McCarron <laughs> thing is so weird to me. Like teams are willing to give up high picks for this guy. I don't, it, I don't know. I don't want to hear about it. Okay. <laughs> I've oh, seen him play Anna. football. Like if, if you could get Jimmy Garoppolo for like what they got him end up getting him for a second round pick. And that's the same price for A.J. McCarron. I think there's a huge gulf in both talent and potential between A.J. McCarron and Jimmy Garoppolo. If you're giving up more than a day three pick, that's not good. Yeah. You should, um, but the cost is apparently a second rounder, right? That's from all everything we've heard. That seems to be the rumor, oh which God. I don't know who's doing that. <laughs> not uh, a fifth rounder, huh? The last thing is that the NFL draft is going to be covered on Fox now. So Ugh. you can tune into Fox, NFL Network, or ESPN for NFL draft coverage, which is going to be great when I just tune into the internet and then read about everyone because, man, draft coverage is rough sometimes. I don't, I don't mind the NFL's coverage. They've got... Um, they mostly focus they that on one, the players They have that drafted. one guy. Uh, what, what's that guy's Rich name? Rich Eisen? Uh, no, no. Mike Mayock? Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, and I like Mayock. I think he's pretty good. He's pretty decent up there. So, And then Eisen does control the flow of the program pretty well, which is the host job. They have Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, which yep. are both former... Uh, don't, Front office guys. Don't watch ESPNs though. The, the Mel Kiper Jr. thing is a, it's so stupid. And, and he, McShay. he's yeah. a liar too because he said he'd retire by this year <laughs> if Notre if that Notre Dame quarterback wasn't good. And I think we can all say by now unequivocally, Jimmy Clausen sucks. So I would like to bring up the fact that I literally just brought up the story because I knew Nathan would bring that up. And every week from here to the draft, we're gonna drop that Jimmy Clausen line because you know you got to stand for something in life. So, you so on Reddit, on Reddit, um, there was. So let's go to Seahawks news. We're gonna talk to Seahawks news first. Let's talk something a little light, a little fun. Maybe this won't be. Maybe it won't be fun for Seahawks fans. On Reddit, they made um, like dis Valentine's Day cards uh, for each team. So that there's like a picture of a player, and then it has a dis. Uh, there's two good Seahawks ones. There was a Blair Walsh one. Had a picture of Blair Walsh, and it said, "I'd blow you a kiss, but it would miss wide right." Um, Those of you who tuned into our Facebook page to figure out why we didn't post an episode, you will see this message. And then the the second one was a picture of Russell Wilson, and it said, um, "I think we should, or you think we should run away together, but I'll pass instead." And, oh, the one I saw was Pete Carroll with that. So, <laughs> so I was just like, oh, "I'm gonna cry." Yeah, that's so, rough. So anyway, those are, those are the uh, the Seahawks diss ones. There's lots of fun ones. If you head over to Reddit.com/slash/slash/r/slash/NFL, you could see uh, other diss Valentines. Those are very fun thread. Um, other Seahawks news. Cam Chancellor's $6.8 million salary for this year has become fully guaranteed. Uh, and also, he plans on coming back. So we're not going to get out of it from retirement. Yep. Uh, the, the Cam thing's totally up in the air. Uh, there's nothing really to say about it other than just that's a fact that is happening. I yeah, this is a wait-and-see situation. You never know how he's, someone's going to come back from injury like that. Uh, I will say this. Uh, there's an article this week that said Cam Chancellor's contract might be the biggest uh, mess up in Don Schneider's history. And that that person needs to reconsider the Percy Harvin trade just full stop. Like, that Percy Harvin trade is way worse than this Cam Chancellor contract. Not close. No contest. Uh, the Percy Harvin trade, we gave a first-rounder, and we never got any... We, we got, got kind of a player for a year. We got kind of a player for a year, and a, what? We got a return touchdown and a 42-8 to eight blowout. Like, cool. Yep. So, yeah, that's my that's my thing on that. Any, do you guys have any opinions? Like, what's the worst thing John Schneider's done since he came here? Uh, not having... Uh, our... Our trades that we made this year, for whatever reason, not having a second and a third rounder. That that is very unschneider like and that Jeremy will Lane. be my nomination. Uh you know, I think that the I definitely think the Percy Harvin trade is up there. 
Um, I also think that the Jimmy Graham trade should be in consideration I because definitely. at least Graham produced though. Like he had ten touchdowns this year. It's not as bad, but I think they're both symptomatic of the same thing, and that is a offensive a little... coaching staff that doesn't actually know what it's want, what it wants, and a GM trying to service a staff that doesn't know what they need. Uh, there was they felt it felt like chasing a little bit, right? Yep, those are both symptoms of the same problem, and those are years where we could have used some of the picks that were used in order to gather the depth so that we weren't trying to fill quite as many needs this year. And I think it was more of getting a big name. Like, we got that big name in Percy Harvin, and he was such a letdown. So we had to rub that, you know, off the books by getting Jimmy Graham, and it just hasn't worked out for us. Yeah. Um, other Seahawks other Seahawks news. Um, well, uh, can we talk about kind of NFL slash Seahawks? Uh, oh, Muhammad yeah. Wilkerson's probably going to be uh, released by the Jets. Interior defensive lineman, going to be on a cheaper deal than um, our boy who's probably on his way out right now. What do you guys think? What would you guys think about going after Wilkerson? Do you have a, uh, I've heard a lot of things Sheldon Richardson's going to be on the Patriots next year. And if I just, I just want to say, if that happens, that defense goes from the worst defense in the league to probably a mediocre one. <laughs> like, he's like, a really good player. He's disruptive, to say the least. I, I would love Muhammad Wilkerson to give him a shot uh, to be a rotation player in our, in our defensive line, which is what he would be. Um, that's a perfect fit at this point in his career. Um, I would agree. So yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome uh, as a potential defensive line piece. We're gonna talk defensive line next week, right? Yep. So, so I don't want to go deeper into that. I don't want to go deeper into it than that. Just to, that I think it. Would, yeah, you're right, Kevin. That'd be a nice fit. Uh, Bobby Wagner, PFF's number four defensive player of the year. No, not defensive player, just player. Period. Hmm. Full stop. Uh, so Bobby Wagner, really good at football. Yeah, the top four was Aaron Do- Aaron Donald, which I agree. Aaron Donald's probably the number one best, especially if you're just comparing to his position. Uh, he's insanely disruptive for an interior defensive lineman. Yep. Uh, Tom Brady was number two, and Brady was fantastic this season. Uh, he had a, uh, like a banner year for yards under pressure too. He had because he's usually not that good under pressure. Uh, Harrison Smith was number three, and as the leader of probably the league's best defense, I can tend to agree with that. And then Wagner was fourth. So I'd like to point that out. That's uh, number three in the NFC defensive players. Also number three in the NFL in defensive players. Yep. That's not a coincidence. No, the yeah, the, these uh, some we got some good defenses over in the NFC to say the least. Yeah, where's uh, the first defensive player from the AFC? It's Clay. It's my boy Clay Campbell coming in at number nine. Uh, so, oh wait, yeah. no, the Chargers number five. Sorry, uh, Casey Hayward, who is I think this is an overrating. I think they're trying to make a statement here because Casey Hayward is perhaps the most underrated player in the NFL. Uh, because the Chargers' defense was really good last year. Um, they just got let down by a bunch of random bullshit that happened at the end of all their games. They just got Chargers? Yeah, so and Hayward's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, that's Hayward, and then number nine was Campbell. Uh, they, a lot of defensive players at the top here, which I think is interesting. Uh, not, there's literally, like, the only offensive player in the top 15... The only, the only three offensive players in the top 15 were... Or, sorry, 13 were Gronk, Brady, and uh, Antonio Brown. Which I mean, those guys are pretty good at. Those football. are really good football players. Yeah. Do you know that um, Pro Football Focus has never graded Rob Gronkowski any anything but first among tight ends since 2013? That seems about right. <laughs> Who's surprised? All right, uh, that's that's it. I think right. See how. Uh, so I'd like to talk about one more thing. Oh, okay. So yes, one this more. This is gonna thing. be like a medium dive. Okay. Um. So prepare for the rant. So I was good. I can going take another through. bite of this. Yeah, you burrito. can take a bite of that burrito. <laughs> like, feel free. Uh, me and uh, Eric can carry this part. So, we have 
Carson went, Chris Carson went down with an injury just as it looked like he was picking up steam, and that's a player that I know everyone's really excited about. And the injury he had is very similar to the injury that Thomas Rawls suffered. And so I know there's a lot of concern over what that means. Um, our arch rival, arch nemesis for life, field goals, had an article about this. <laughs> yeah, the the why are you blocking us on Twitter, field goals? Yeah, I we, mean, we couldn't figure out why. That burrito must be beef because that's what we have with field goals. So, in the article, um, and as you read through from a few different sources, what you end up with is a picture of two very similar injuries with two kind of different results. So to quickly go over just the injury piece, um, Rawls ended up with, uh, his surgery took place four months after the injury, and it was a break on the bone. So it was kind of two surgeries, one for the ligament, one for the bone. Um, For Carson, it was surgery for the um, ligament, but not surgery for the bone. And the surgery was able to take place right away. It was about a 10-week recovery window which is why we heard those rumors of a possible playoff comeback, which didn't end up happening, which might be a good thing in the long run. But what that means is the level of recovery necessary for the injury is lower for Carson. In addition to that, I want to take it to a bit of a different spot, and that is the statement around an injury like this. Uh, An injury to the ligament like what happened with Carson is, it might slow you down by a step. That's what they say. I'm not as concerned with that on Carson as I was on Rawls. Rawls' vision was questionable. He ran to contact, which meant that that initial burst was what he relied on. If he didn't get any burst, he wasn't getting any forward progress. He wasn't going to find a good cutback lane. He wasn't going to be able to get away from contact. He relied on brute power in order to break tackles. And when you have no burst, then the defender is getting to choose how to make contact with you. What are the ages of Rawls and Carson on this? Uh, really similar ages within a year or two of each other. A year or two. Um, really similar general height, weight, build. They're yeah. very similar backs um, in everything except for running style. I like, yeah, I like Carson's uh, uh, accessibility to the cutback, I should say. Uh, he he makes the cutback better than Rawls because Rawls doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't shimmy. He just, he he panic runs, as yeah, I like Rawls doesn't it. look for the cutback. Yeah, he just goes. Um, my question to you is, is this something where, you know, he has to worry about, you know, like when, uh, cornerbacks hurt their knees, uh, they, Jeremy Lane was out for a long time, uh, because they didn't know if he could, you know, turn and cut and if it would do anything, um, you know, do any more damage to his knee. Is this something Carson will have to worry about? That's, that's something that we won't know until, you know, he's in practice and how he feels, but, um, that'll be interesting. Yeah, we know ligaments and joints, that's always a bit of concern. But the thing that's uh, nice about this injury, I guess you could say, is that it occurred at such an early point in the season that his recovery window means that as soon as you start seeing OTAs, you should start seeing him on the field. Like, there should be no additional recovery time. It should be pretty much a normal offseason for him. So the question will be, will he have enough burst and speed to be able to make NFL runs. I want to go somewhere. And he wasn't a super fast running back to begin with. Somewhere different for this, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, this is not a negative thing to say. We don't know if Carson was the guy. We really don't. I mean, we were really excited about him, but let's face it, this is a guy who is going to be competing this year for a job after the injury. He's not destined to have a great year with or without the injury. 
It's it'll be another name to the mix. Well, we talked about this when we talked about running backs a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, we're not looking for Carson to be the guy. We're hoping he's a guy. Can he take some carries away from whoever your feature back is? Can he? Uh, you know, he's versatile. He can catch the ball, and he can run. So he's a good person to have in your stable. But if he loses a step or two, then suddenly he becomes really fringy as an NFL player. Well, if he can be our, I mean. Let's take it the other way. If he can be our lead back, if he can be the guy, wow, that's awesome. But don't count on him for that. And that's people listening. Yeah, he's a seventh-round pick. So I think that's something we need to take into consideration. For as excited as we were about him, if he settles in as our number three running back, number two running back, and you know he's uh, the next Maurice Morris. Ooh. Well, Maurice Morris wasn't a bad guy to have spelling Sean Alexander, you know? He was somebody who could do the job. That was the job that we needed. But he fumbled. He fumbled all the time, Kevin. Okay, fine. So without the fumbles. Okay. And I think that was more Amon Green. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Amon Green Maybe ended both. up on the Packers because he fumbled. He fumbled the ball all the way to Wisconsin, had to go and get it, and was just like, I'm going to stay here. He had many positive years in, in Wisconsin. All right. So Maurice Morris averaged 4.2 yards a carry on his career. He was, like, he, was, he was fine. Yeah, he was a solid backup. He was a good backup. Yeah, exactly. So, with that in mind, I, Chris Carson's injury is something we're going to be taking into account, and I, th- but I don't think that changes Seattle's plan in the draft. I think no matter what, we should see a mid-round pick being spent on a running back because this this stable needs talent. So unless there's a splash signing, one of the players we talked about, like you know the Crow, or a mid-round guy coming in, I think that we should see some significant addition to our running back core. Yeah, unless they really think they like broke through the CJ Procise injury wall, they're going to need to bring another guy in. Because that's the only guy I could see playing first and second down on a consistent basis that I'm like, yes, that guy has enormous talent and can totally do it. Uh, Carson, I, I just worry in general because it's an undrafted player who's played like a game or two you know yeah like if he was an extremely good player he wouldn't have been a seventh round pick so he's one of those guys where his measurables fit into the parameters of what seattle likes they like a specific kind of back he's that kind of back you know we've also seen this type of player picked up and cut a bunch of times all right so uh with that being said let's move on to a pressing matter yeah. something we all care deeply about on something this that caught co- something that cost the seahawks multiple games last year uh and that's this and is the year our before this is our 2000 so we go you guys probably noticed we did all the offensive positions first this week we take a break before we go to defense we cover the third phase of the game that's right the special teams uh we're gonna cover kickers and punters uh, not even the the special teamers who uh like like alexander or tanner mcavoy these guys that basically only stick around on the team because they're uh wait deandre elliott right that's the uh nico yep. thorpe or is it nico, and nico thorpe? both both yeah those guys are both uh special team guys like guys that stick around for that we're not talking about those guys okay today we're gonna talk about the guys we have under contract to play kicker punter and who we might use to replace or enhance those and guys. i have a couple of draft picks that might be viable return men sweet all right. Uh, oh, by the way, think, speaking of return men, the Seahawks do still have Cyril Grayson under contract for next year. I'm not saying that's a sure thing, but that guy can f- run real fast. Yes. Um, so that's an exciting guy that we're going to bring into camp next year to be the kick returner. That dude's got go routes covered. Nah, I, don't, I don't think he'll ever play wide receiver <laughs> in the NFL. But he, go he could be da- he could be Dante Hall. You know, like that's the kind of elite speed we're talking about here. Yes. All right. 
Uh, kickers and punters. Next year, the Seahawks have one kicker and one punter under contract. Uh, the kicker, Jason Myers, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. He is set to be paid $705,000. None of it guaranteed. We can cut him and get all the money back. So that's Jason Myers. His stats are very similar to Blair Walsh. Yep, he's How, extremely similar. However you feel about Blair Walsh, you should feel about Jason Myers. This At guy, half price. Th- this guy has been brought in. And what did what did Walsh make last year? 1.1. Like, 1. Yeah, so, so this is like two-thirds price. Uh, but it's the thirteenth highest kicker paid in the paid kicker in the NFL. If that's not including guys who get resigned, so he'll end up being like the twentieth high, highest pick kicker. He was brought in to compete. Let's be honest. Uh, he was brought in to try to push whoever whoever else we bring in as a kicker. He's a nice baseline, as in like you got to be better than Jason Myers. If you're not, you can't you can't be our kicker next year. He is a replacement level NFL kicker. He's fine. There's nothing wrong with Jason Myers. You should not be excited about Jason Myers. Uh, can I go into <laughs> kind of some kicking numbers real quick to give a baseline for everyone? Because okay. I know kicker's not something everybody that, looks at. So Blair Walsh last year was extremely frustrating. He made 21 out of 29 field goals, which is 72.4%. Uh, the big thing that was aggravating was he missed three field goals under 40 yards, and he missed five field goals over 40 yards. He was over one from 50 plus. You know, uh, bad kicking percentages from 50 plus are excusable. Bad kicking percentage from 30 to 49 is not something that you're okay with in the NFL. That's, That's uh, not what you want to see. Kick. Exactly. And so he's 30, he was uh, 37 out of 38 on extra points. But in general, these are not great numbers. So by comparison's sake, Jason Meyer, 73.3%. But three of his misses were on 50-plus yard field goals. So he really only had one miss on a 30 to 39. So you could actually make the argument he was a more successful kicker than Blair Walsh was. Because, again, misses from 50-plus, you want to be able to make from there as an NFL player, but that's not like your bread and butter. So to give you an idea, I took Jake Elliott, who was drafted by the Bengals, cut, and then signed out of training camp by Philadelphia. And then I took... uh, No, he was signed after the first week. Signed after the first week, thank you. Um, He was uh, about 16th in field goal percentage. So I'm thinking league average kicker here, basically. But he but he's got boot man he he's not he's like weird because he can make the long ones but not the short ones he's league average statistically okay. right exactly he was so to back up Nate's point he was five for six from fifty plus he was four for he was uh, four of seven from thirty to thirty nine so I take it he kicks low then meaning I, he does not he doesn't put the ball up he I'm puts not it hundred percent sure mecha- horizontal mechanically what's going on there I just know that he has accuracy issues on the short ones. Uh, so he's 83.9%. So you want, basically, when you're looking at an NFL kicker, if you want to have an NFL kicker that's above replacement level, you want to be above 80% on your accuracy, and you want to be able to, you want those 30 to 45-yard field goals to be just about automatic. Well, I, I, you looked at me, I smiled when you said replacement level, and I was like, what does that mean? Because I would say that, you know, Walsh was bad, but replacement level, if that can't be very good, but I don't know. It sounds it uh, sounds much better than. Sorry, that. I'm importing a uh, baseball term. That's so, fine. No, I love that. No, I, I I understand what you're saying. So to explain it, though, you're right. I should explain it to listeners who maybe uh, haven't been super into war in baseball. So replacement level is a term for somebody that where you go, okay, um, you have to be this good in order to just be a guy that gets signed to a roster. So if you cut somebody, you can expect to sign a replacement level player. That's just like you're just your basic bottom dollar player 
out of position. And isn't that another way of saying like that that replacement player is not going? He's like at zero. He doesn't yes. make your team worse. He doesn't make your team better. You he's your dime a dozen zero. guy. Exactly. Um, so when you think about replacement level, um, you know, if you look at that's the guy where you're going, okay, this person's not a net negative and they're not a net positive. Exactly like you're saying. Um, you think about like a running back who's going to get you 3.7 yards per carry. That's a replacement level running back. You can go get that guy. So for kickers, we're looking for something to be a little better than that. And to be a little better than that, you have to be kicking about 80% of your field goals. And you should be making most of your extra points, though you can make the argument a lot of that has to do with offensive line nowadays. All right, so... uh, So we're looking for guys that can kick better than 80%. Yep. That make most of their extra points. And that can occasionally boot a 50-plus yarder if we need them to. Exactly. All right. All right. That that sounds about right to me, too. Okay. What's that? Three more field goals than Walsh made. Uh, If I'm doing the quick math. Yeah. About. About. Yeah. Okay. Great. So (laughs) that was very pointed, Eric. Hey. uh, Hey, man. You you saw what we lost this year. Come on. (laughs) So let's uh, let's let's dig in now. Let's let's dig in right to kickers. Okay. So there's about 16 free agent kickers and another three probably that are going to get cut before the season starts. Um, McManus will probably get cut. There's a chance Mason Crosby gets cut, and uh, there's one other one that I'm forgetting. Uh, anyway, there's there's a couple overpaid kickers that can get cut, and basically the teams can get all the money back, and they're going to do that. Yes. Uh, then there's a bunch of kickers on free agency. Janikowski, Gano, Vinatieri, Matt Bryant. Um, these are name kickers, like brand kickers. Um, kickers I don't with think, established reputations at the I, NFL. I don't think the Seahawks are going to sign any of those guys. Um do you, do you, because I don't think we're going to spend $3 million on a kicker. Do you agree with that? I Kevin? would like you to go into that real quick because you've been wrapping your head around that cap thing. Okay. But I, I agree with your opinions. Now go ahead and state uh, them. So, yeah, the, the Seahawks just don't have the the cap structure right now to both improve the team in the ways that they want to, re-sign players that they want to bring back, and also uh, sign a high-level top-of-the-cap kicker. And here's the problem with a lot of these guys is they're super old. Uh, Janikowski's 39. Vinatieri's 45. Bryant is 42. Um, Gano's only 30, but I think Gano's going to get paid this offseason. There's a chance that Carolina uses the franchise tag to bring him back. So that should tell you everything you need to know about Graham Gano. He's really good. And the big thing is... If Graham Gano's available and we can pay him $3.5 million a year to play on the Seahawks, we should do it. But that's not going to be a situation that's going to happen. And if we were going to pay a lot of money to a kicker, we'd have kept Hauschka. Yeah, exactly. There's just we've already passed that point. So then we have to d- jump down to the the lower tier of kickers, the guys who make around a million dollars. If we're going to look in free agency, uh, so we got Mike Nugent, Caleb Sturgis, Chandler Cantanzaro, uh, Kyra Santos, Cody Parkey, uh, Dustin Hopkins, Kai Forbath, Patrick Murray. Let me tell you something before you go into any of these guys specifically. Uh, Blair Walsh also free agent, <laughs> but but um of these free agent kickers, I think there's like twelve or thirteen that kicked a higher field goal percentage last year than Blair Walsh. Blair Walsh came in at 72.4%, and it looks like there's one, two, three, four. There's 12 guys that had over 80% last year on free agency. So we can find uh, we can find a good kicker at a decent price, very likely, uh, in, this, in this market. This market is very wide open for kickers. There's tons of good guys out here. So that in mind, Kevin, who are some of your favorites for us to go after? Okay, so I'll give me one. With, give me one, and I'll give you one. Uh, so let's go with the the guy that I know we all like in the room, and that's uh, former Miami Dolphins kicker Cody Parkey, former Eagle Cody Parkey. 
there's there's a there's a glaring weakness to Cody Parkey that I think needs to be addressed. But I agree, he is he is pretty good. Yeah, Cody Parkey can't boot from fifty plus. He he he's actually six for seven on fifty plus. But the fact that they only tried seven times says a lot. Yep. He's he's also eighteen for twenty seven on forty plus, forty to forty nine, which is which is pretty rough. He's he's really good at everything under forty yards. Like he's never gonna miss an under 40 yard kick or hardly ever going to miss an under 40 yard kick. And even under 45, he's really good. I at. like him in cold weather though. I like him in different yep. weather situations. He's played which in Philadelphia and Cleveland. Yeah. He's played in Philadelphia and Cleveland. So he understands how to play in weather. Uh, yeah, I like Parky. Parky would be, Parky would be a satisfying pickup for me. In fact, uh, but there, the thing I worry about Parky is, is, is someone going to give him too much money? Is someone going to give Parky $2 million for some reason? Cause he's 25. He's yep. pretty, he's undeniably talented. Uh, that that's that's the situation I run into. I agree. If somebody, the only thing is exactly what you just said about not having that big leg, and he's not a kickoffs guy. I don't believe either, and that brings down his value to an extent. So that makes him a player that might be available in that under a million area. All right, you ready for uh, you ready for the guy I want to talk about? Yep. Let's talk about Catman Ch- Chandler Catanzaro. Uh, for he used to be on the Arizona, and then he was on the Jets last year. So he spent a significant amount of time on Eric's fantasy football team. Yes, so did. in 2016 when he was on Eric's fantasy football team, he was not good. He made 75% <laughs> of his kicks. He was Blair Much Walsh. Like this is true. Blair Walsh-esque in 2016. Oh, yeah. And in 2017, he did something that I think our coach loves. He redeemed himself. He went bump back up to 83.3%, had a very good season. Uh he's really good front but they same thing. He's not good from 50 plus. Uh Seven for thirteen, and they don't really try that many fifty-plus yard field goals with Catanzaro. He doesn't have the the mega boot like some of these guys. But I think Catanzaro, because of that, he's going to come cheap. We're going to have a, you have a good chance to get Catanzaro for less than a million dollars, and I really like him. For he's that another price. known quantity guy. Yeah, you you know you're probably going to get eighty percent plus eighty percent of your field goals plus uh, last year. He was really steady for the Jets last year. He was he was fairly good. Uh, he missed five field goals from forty to forty-nine yards, but that's not. The, the worst you know it's 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 okay so yeah that's what i'm he made everything from 40 and under so yeah cat and Zara would be a guy that i think we could target that we could actually get in here for around a million dollars so i like that how do you guys feel about kai forbath i like him yeah i think kai forbath is good i think there's a good chance that he's back on minnesota next year there's a decent chance he comes back to minnesota there's a decent chance he gets paid a little bit more he was a high volume guy he was 32 for 38 on field goals that's a lot of field goals um but, you know, he made 84%. The about Kai Forbath is he's money from 50 under. 41 for 35, 40 to 49 yards. That's a that's insane. Yep. That's nut, That's nutty. He's really, really good. The thing is, he doinks like a 20-yarder every once in a while. You just have to deal with that mentally. Like, once every other season, he's just going to doink a 20-yarder for no reason. So he's a little bit like Hauschka <laughs> in that way. Yeah. Like, he doesn't yeah. miss a lot, but you never know what he'll miss. Well, Kevin, you'll be a, random. Actually, I should say Nathan will be really proud because I did my homework on this. So I circled Kai Forbath because when he was with Washington, I really, I don't know, it was just kind of like another kicker to me. But with Minnesota, I feel if they don't want to spend the money there, if they want to try and keep their team together a little more, this could be a guy that slips under the radar and then we can actually get for what we paid Walsh. Yep. Speaking of under the radar, we got Caleb Sturgis. That's my guy. Uh, Caleb Sturgis, Kevin, uh, only kicked three field goals last year in the very first game of the season. and then That's what happens when you get hurt. He got hurt, put on the IR, and now is a free agent. Uh, do you think... You think there's a real chance that Caleb Sturgis could come at a decent price because of the injury? Yeah, he he was already being paid under a million. Um, he's been a little bit of a journeyman, and his skill set is one that is good but not great. If you look at uh, so the year before with Philly, 
He made 85% of his field goals. And let's be real. Those, he, those first two Miami years are not very good. No. The, the, the Philadelphia years are good. He was 24 for 24 from 20 to 40. 7 for 11, 40 to 49, 4 for 6, 50 plus. So this is another guy where he's basically like Catanzaro with more leg. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think he would end up going for a similar price to Catanzaro. He might be 1.1 to Catanzaro's 850000 I know he got hurt. He gets a lot of chances to kick 50-plus, too, because he does have the leg. He just doesn't have the, the elite accuracy. So you kind of put him out there more? Yeah, because if you put him out there, you know, basically, hey, we're going to flip the coin to see if we can get three points before halftime. What was the injury exactly? Like, did he just get hit, or did he pull a something i believe it was a pulled muscle in his leg uh nate can you check that out you have better computer access than me right now yeah go ahead um but i can go ahead and filibuster so i the big thing you'll notice is a trend between all of these players we just mentioned it's a hip injury by the way it was a hip injury okay which that could sap some of his distance power so he could literally be katanzaro then um (laughs) so you're looking at players that are going to make almost all their extra points and automatic under 40 and I think that's what we want because that was the most frustrating thing about Blair Walsh is we would drive down the field, get to about the 30-yard line, which is where you're going, oh, cool, we, we should be able to come away with points. You know, If you're inside the 30, you're like, this drive better be points. Yeah, no and then you set up for a field goal on the 24-yard line, and you come away with nothing. That's devastating for an offense. Like it was for us this year. Yes. No joke. All right. uh, my last guy is Patrick Murray. Patrick Murray is going to be cheap. He's like he he's five foot seven, so I think that people just underestimate him. But he can kick really far. He was five for six on fifty plus yard field goals in his rookie year for Tampa Bay. He got replaced by like the worst draft pick in NFL history, and then he came back to Tampa Bay and he was decent last year. Uh, he did not miss a field goal from inside forty yards. Thirteen for thirteen. Uh, I like Patrick Murray as like a potential. Hey, this guy can can be pretty good. Uh, Not to sound like a total dick, but I didn't look at him specifically because he was Tampa Bay's kicker, and they're just cursed. Maybe, but he, <laughs> I think he like he's like trying to read the curse. All right, punter. Currently, the Seahawks oh, are pa- draft oh. picks, dude. Oh yeah, sorry. Give me, tell me about the kickers in the Gotta draft. Talk about Kevin. that kicker draft. All right, so um, there's five names: uh, Daniel Carlson from Auburn, uh, Drew Brown from Nebraska, Eddie Pinheiro from Florida, Mike Badgley from Miami, and Matt McCrane from Kansas State. Uh, of those guys, you're probably looking at two of them being drafted. Carlson's pretty surefire draft pick, and probably uh, one of Brown, Pinheiro, and McCrane are getting drafted. What do you guys want in a kicker? I'll tell you which one. I want steady, Kevin. I want consistency. All right, so you want that high accuracy. Eddie Pinheiro kicked for Florida. He kicked. Uh, he was 17 for 18 last year in 94.4%. Um, two-year kicker for Florida. Uh, really high accuracy both years. 7 for 7 from 20 to 29. 4 for 4 from 30 to 39. 4 for 5 from 40 to 49. 2 for 2 from 50 plus. Um, the thing with him is he had excellent accuracy in college. And he has strong kickoff ability. But his mechanics are like noisy. They're not smooth. And so there's that question about uh, like how repeatable is his process. Is that kind of like a... Robert or Roberto Aguayo had? Uh, I'm thinking more like a, one of the Grammaticas, yeah. where he's uh, his body's kind of going to hit his place. head against the wall. Well, no, he might he might you know blow out an ACL jumping up and down after a field goal, but what it really means is that he's a guy who could 
um, who could come in and have really good results. But, you know, after a couple of years, he might end up with an injury because he has um, a bit of an awkward motion to the way he does it. Have you watched him kick, Kevin? I have. Okay. Does he look like he could be an NFL kicker? Yes. Okay, because some of these college kickers, they, they have good legs in college, but you watch them and it's, you know, they're kicking from, like, the far hash mark because you can choose where you line up in college. I want... You know what I want, Kevin? What's that? I want Georgia's kicker to come out a year early so that we can draft that idiot with the glasses. Because that guy is clutch, man. I don't even care. Like he, He's kind of an idiot, but I love him. He does like, look real dumb. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. He, there's rumors that he might come out a year early. People are saying, like, oh, yeah, he might not go back because Georgia won't give him a scholarship. And I'm just like, this is the best. You guys are so ch- you cheaped out on your kicker, and he's going to leave for the NFL a year early, even though he's probably a seventh-round draft pick at best. If he does, I'd be, I'd be just fine with that. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up was Drew Brown out of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. He's one of those people he has really repeatable mechanics. He's really accurate. Uh, he has good traject. Uh, he has good trajectory, which makes his blocks unlikely. So his kicking game really translates well. Uh, the thing about him is he just doesn't have a super strong leg. That's why he's going to go undrafted. Um, he didn't even have an attempt over fifty yards last year. So this is somebody who is really interesting for that reason. So if you're talking really high accuracy, but not a lot of leg, this is a guy who we could bring into camp. Um, as a priority free agent, probably no problem. All right. Uh, sounds sounds good. Let's go to punters. Now we can go to punters? Yep, we're I, good. I didn't accidentally skip <laughs> over the draft now. <laughs> nope. Uh, all right, punters. Seahawks have John Ryan under contract for next year at $3.2 million a year. Good now there's, that's a lot of money. There's a lot of debate here. Okay, Right now, if we kept John Ryan, John Ryan would be the, the, fifth, the fifth highest paid punter in the league. Um, if it was three years ago, John Ryan, I would say that's totally worth it. Uh, we should just bring him back, uh, close the book on it. Last year's John Ryan was not as good as three years ago's John Ryan. And it's been a steady decline as he becomes an older gentleman. Yeah, and he's 36 years old. Uh, I think he's I think he's still like the coolest player on the Seahawks, bar none. Uh, but there's a chance that he just isn't quite uh, as good as he used to be. Like uh, that, that, that the Seahawks are going to need to move on from him to save the uh, $1.2 million dollar. Uh, actually, they would save $2 million by cutting him, Yeah, which would mean that if if that's the case, that means we need to bring in a kicker at about a million dollars for it to be worth it, right? We can't overpay a kicker with the money we saved from the punter. We have to actually save money. Uh, that really limits us. On the bright side, there's almost no punters available, so right. that makes the choice only, easy. <laughs> only four free agent punters unless, uh, like I said, there might be some cap casualties. Uh, some kickers are getting punters are getting old, and I don't think any of these punters are particularly good. Uh, we got Dustin Colquitt, who is he's good, but he's not. He's gonna get paid. He's gonna more get than, paid. We're gonna get paid more than we would pay him. Uh, then we've got uh, Kevin Huber. How do you feel about Kevin Huber, Kevin? Uh, fine. Great, great first name. Nice. That's it's why okay. that's what Kevin likes about him. Uh, then we've got uh, Shane Leckler, who is extremely talented, but also 41 years old. And going and, to get paid. And he's going to get paid probably exactly $2 million, which is too much. We need we need a guy that can get paid a million dollars, which leaves us with only Pat O'Donnell. The He's coming off his rookie contract with the Bears. Uh, and I think Pat O'Donnell's actually looking at the numbers. He's probably going to get slightly over a million dollars, which puts him out of contention for us as well. Uh, do you... Would you tend to agree with that, Kevin? Uh, he, it's going to be fringe. He's going to be just under or just over. If we can get him for around that amount, uh, just so everyone knows, you're looking at a player who's statistically almost identical to John Ryan. 
Except last year he was significantly better. Let's be honest. Last year he had his best year of his career. He averaged 47 yards a punt, which was a career high by three yards. And it's quite possible that he's entering like the prime of his career. He kicks in Chicago, which is a tough city, the windy city. <laughs> that's uh, about politicians, Nathan. So uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean that's that's the thing about me for, for him, Kevin, is that like last year he was better than John Ryan. Well, last year he had two more average yards on his punt, and he had about uh, one more net yard per punt. So yeah, he was a bit better. And he's a tra- and his tra- trajectory is going up, which is where you want to catch someone. Uh, and John Ryan, let's let's be honest. If John Ryan just repeats a season from last year, he's probably pretty good still. Uh, there's no need to replace him. And like I said, if we're not getting someone who we think is good on a budget deal, we're running John Ryan back next year. There's yep. no way that we're gonna go. The, the Seahawks aren't gonna take the risk. John Ryan's a known quantity. He's probably gonna average between 44 and 45 yards a punt. Yeah, he's not gonna have that like. Like, in 2011, I think John Ryan was, like, the best player on the Seahawks. Like, he was 46.6 yards a punt. Like, he was nuts that year. And so, that's kind of my thing is that, you know, John Ryan has had some fantastic years. And in the last couple of years, he's been he's been good but not great. Yeah. Also, I've, punter play has trended up in this time uh, compared to where it was. When, the league has definitely caught up to him as, like, the Aussie-style punters and stuff are becoming bigger. And as the punting game becomes more appreciated in college. Yeah, yeah, we're waiting to to get a good punting class. If if I can say that stupid sentence. Uh, so the other thing that's interesting, uh, by the way, everyone knows about our co love for American 2009 Ninja Seahawks <laughs> team MVP, American Ninja Warrior John Ryan. Yeah, he's like the like I said, he's still the coolest player. Yeah, he's Seahawks. a cool guy. <laughs> it's him or Sherman. Like, he may leave my team, but he'll never leave my Twitter they're feed. Very, they're very cool. Uh, yeah, I, like I like I said, I don't I don't. The more I look at it, the more I think the team's not going to replace John Ryan. That they'll bring in an undrafted rookie free agent to push him, and unless that guy really overperforms in camp, John Ryan's our punter next year. I tend to agree, which is why I definitely spent a minute taking a look in the draft again. All right, so what are what are some of these draft punters or you know undrafted free agent punters? Is there anyone that just give me your your top guy, Kevin? Who most interests you? Uh, so I have two guys. All right, give me those two guys. I want to hear it. J.K. Scott out of Alabama. Um, this guy had a 43-yard average, but it was a lot of positional punting. Um, Alabama's good at football. And his career punting average is 45.6. And in, do, they, do draft Knicks say he's like a fringy? He's a fringe round seven pick. Right, okay. Um, it's about where I'd want to get him. He, he has a big leg, um, really strong kicker. Uh, he, again, he's a guy who can punt for the situation. Like, he can lock you inside the 20. Um, his hang time is good. Um, but the thing is that he's not the fastest from his catch to his kick. So that's something to watch kind of in the combine stuff to see if you have to worry about him being blocked. One thing that's really nice about him, though, is he is a guy who can do kickoffs and he can handle being a placeholder on extra points which gives him more value as a punter because those are some things that John Ryan can do too. So that's something you have to consider when you're replacing John Ryan is that he uh, is the holder on extra points and he provides a little extra value. He can back up. He can also kick off if you need him to, you know? All right. Uh, The other one that I really like is Johnny Townsend out of Florida. So you love Florida special team. Wait, did you say something about Florida's kicker? Yep, Florida's kicker, Florida's puncher. (laughs) Okay. Because their offense sucks, so their special team has to be good. <laughs> so he's another guy who's like a seventh round slash free agent guy. He had forty seven and a half yard average last year. He was uh, 
tied for, I think, first or second in the nation. Um, he averages over 46 yards per punt for his career. He has a big, strong leg. His hang time is over four seconds, but not exceptional. In college, he had a tendency to outkick his coverage. In the NFL, that's not going to be as much of an issue because you tend to have sp- faster special teams players. Um, he's big enough to make some stops. He was a safety in high school. So this is another guy who's kind of um, who's part of John Ryan's quest to prove that uh, punters are our football players too. Uh, he doesn't have any kickoff experience which does give him a little less flexibility, but he's another guy that's just got a big, strong leg. He'd be a cool one to bring into camp. If he doesn't get drafted, I'd love to have Townsend in. All right, cool. So there we go. There's a couple punters that might be brought in to just make sure that John Ryan isn't actually bad, that it's just, you know, he's he's just, you know, he's on the downside. You're 36. You can't do this athletics forever. <laughs> no knock on John Ryan. He seemed, cool. like I said, Like I've said a million times, he seems like the coolest Seahawk. So that's... That's kind of how I feel about it. The other thing with punters is it's not common to carry them on the practice squad for a year, and then maybe next year they're a punter because John Ryan's not going to be around forever. Yep. I mean, I think that the, the best case scenario for the Seahawks and John Ryan is John Ryan plays out the rest of this contract, and then after 2020, we're, we're looking at a new punter. Uh, next year, though, he is a $3.6 million cap hit, so he's quite there's quite a bit of cap uh, how much would we save off of them three million we'd get three million of the 3.6 million back that's a lot of money yep. i don't know looking at all that, the it's names. getting to that point where like next year maybe is the year he's going to be up for sure a cap catcher. unless you can get a guy that will transition from the college ranks to an nfl punter this is probably his victory lap mm-hmm. i agree yeah. i mean I, he's gonna be good i don't know i like i still like john ryan yes uh, I, I think like we often talked about him uh, as if he was going to certainly be a cap casualty, but the more I looked at the contract and what we had left and how much dead cap and what we could bring in, the more I thought like there's it's it's more like seventy five percent he'll be back. Someone's gonna have to beat him out for the job. It's not like it's gonna be his job to lose. Still, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, or someone's gonna have to get cut that we really like uh, from another team that's competing for a job, right? Yes. So, like, you know, the Jets have two punters right now for some reason. If one of those guys gets cut and we're like, oh, we love that guy, then maybe we bring that guy in. Uh, that's my that's my thing. All right. Uh, that's it for the Seahawks uh, and the punters and kickers. If you have a punter or kicker that you love, please don't tell us about it because you can, you don't really love punters and kickers. Come on. Be honest with yourself. Do, do they? Do, do the people love kickers and punters? I was going to say if they do, it's because they're the kicker or the punter. It's and because in that of, case, just call the Seahawks. It's because our punter has such a great personality. That's why uh, they love kickers and Tweet punters. us with the hashtag nest, kick my Seahawks nest. Oh, gosh. With your favorite punter or That's kicker. a long hashtag. Hashtag kick my Seahawks nest. By the way, in the research for this, did you know uh, Saints punter Thomas Morstead is going to make almost $5 million this year? Yeah, that's Worth ridiculous. It. I mean, he is the best punter, but like what? <laughs> Why? Because it you know, it takes a lot of money to manicure that beard. Did you see Why? that picture? They say four point one million dollars by cutting him. Just maybe Thomas Morstead is a cap casualty. We could... Maybe. <laughs> Come on. Uh, so I just want to really quickly go through a list of people that are um, plus return men in the draft. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a couple of return men that you like. All right. Rashad Penny, running back out of San Diego State, going to be a second to fourth round pick. Okay. Uh, I've read a lot about Rashad Penny lately, Kevin, because of the thing. That guy's going in the second round. There's a lot of hype uh, behind Rashad Penny. He's not going to test very well in the combine. All right, but if, even That's if he tests push medium, the down. tape, the tape's going to get him to where he needs to be. All right, Cedric Wilson, wide receiver, Boise State, third or fourth round pick. Yeah. Dante Pettis, wide receiver, Washington, 
fourth, fifth round pick. Uh, DJ Chark, wide receiver, LSU. Uh, then the cornerbacks, which I'm really interested in. There's Mike Hughes out of UCF. Uh, Darius Phillips out of Western Michigan. Greg Stroman out of Virginia Tech. And MJ Stewart out of uh, North Carolina. And our recommendation for these guys is just search the name on YouTube and watch the video because that's the funnest way to research college football players. That's even a though, fact. Even though it's it's like it's the hype tape, so you know it's kind of bullshit. You just like it's fun to watch. It's really fun to watch. You do just, get to see them at their peak, yeah. right? So um, and also on the roster right now, LSU's uh, Cyril Grayson uh, quite possibly could be the punt, punt kick returner of the future for the Seahawks. He's just got to figure out how to be a football player because he was a track athlete. Yeah, this is a, this is like an Olympic level track athlete. <laughs> but uh, if he figures it out, or triathlete, boy, he is fast. Okay. I'm excited. All right, let's head over to the movie club. But before we do that, uh, the money zone. Uh, you can support the Seahawks Nest podcast by heading over to Patreon.com/slash/SeahawksNest for as little as a dollar twenty for as little as a dollar twenty four a month. You can get access to exclusive content, including a new podcast every week that covers our NFL picks. Uh, Obviously, it's the off season, so we we kind of cut back on that. And then the uh, we also have exclusive videos and other stuff like that. It's just fun times over there. Also, you can it, it pays for our equipment and uh, stickers and other random stuff we use to promote the podcast. And uh, then Twitter, if you don't have money and you still like us, twitter.com slash Seahawks Nest, facebook.com slash the Seahawks Nest, and SoundCloud, Stitcher iTunes. Give us five stars on your favorite platform, please. It helps more than you can imagine. That's it. Uh, uh, for, we for, did get to the front page of Google. Yep. And oh yeah, if you Google Seahawks podcast, like we're like one of the first page Whoa. results now, which makes me feel pretty good. Uh, so it's like you know the bottom of the first page, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, you gotta start somewhere. Uh, and then and then uh, to the top. <laughs> and then uh, that's. That's uh, that's it. That's it. That's it. All right, videos, our video movie zone. Sorry, videos. What the my brain? We're my in video I just had a baby, so I'm, my brain doesn't work. Okay, uh, I didn't have the baby. I watched the baby being born and just couldn't sleep ever because spoilers. My... We're doing Junior this week. Uh, no. Nathan had the baby. Oh, no. Nope. In this this week, a movie came out. I'm having the baby. Uh, a movie is coming out. I thought about doing uh, like Cuckoo's talking, but. Uh, 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 Eric and I joke we should have done three men and a baby. Yeah, uh, I almost did a three men and a baby joke at the beginning of the podcast, but I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember which of the three men was the worst to try to rib Eric. So I was like, I, I don't want to do this. Not oh, Gutenberg. Man, I was gonna say because I I would I would have been Gutenberg on that one. No, Sorry, man. And when all Nathan fails, the baby. You just guess Gutenberg. <laughs> okay, so so anyway, uh, uh, Black Panther comes out this week. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, what's the coolest movie ever that has the word black in the name? Because it's also Black History Month. So I was like, oh, Black Dynamite. And I re- remembered we already did Black Dynamite. Uh, black Dynamite 2 comes out. But I, so instead, I was like, what's another cool movie with black in the name? And Black I thought, Dog with Meatloaf and <laughs> no, Rose. I went with Pitch Black, uh, starring okay. Vin Diesel. Uh, and also just kind of generally talking about the whole series, Chronicle Riddick and Riddick. Uh, so let's start with Pitch Black. Pitch Black. Uh, it came out February 18th of 2000. It was a $23 million movie that went on to make $53 million. It was a, like a medium weight uh, sci-fi thriller. Uh, wh- Starring Vin Diesel as Richard B. Riddick. Yeah, then I, I was like, when, when I saw that on the Wikipedia page that he had a first name of Richard, I was like, has anyone ever called him Richard in any of these movies? Like, what the hell is this about? Dick Riddick. So anyway. Uh, Best 70s detective ever. So the plot of the movie is basically this. Uh, there's... 
there's a ship it's it's transporting prisoners and there's also like a muslim preacher with like three of his young like uh I don't know what to call them. Acolytes. Like, acolytes. They're going to New Mecca, and there's there's a bunch of other ancillary characters that I don't really care about that much. Anyway, uh, in the in the story, uh, basically the, their their ship crashes. Riddick, they're like Riddick. If you help us escape the planet, you will go free. So then they have to try to figure out how to escape the planet. They need to get these batteries that Riddick's dragging around like the whole movie. Uh, the the planet is completely lit because there's three suns but then at some point they figure out that there's going to be an eclipse that will turn everything dark and there's like monsters that live in the dark that's why it's called pitch black riddick has like special eyes that make it easy to see in the dark but he's kind of worthless out in the bright light he's cybernetically enhanced he got them because in, in the some prison he was in they were it was completely dark all the time right now, gentlemen gentlemen are you, are you going through all three movies because if you are you will find out that he is not cybernetically enhanced and that he lied about the prison operation, and he's actually from an ancient race of Furians. Yes, be- beings called Furians, <laughs> which is totally—it just makes sense with the, with everything else we've so, talked about. Let's talk about Pitch Black first, though. Pitch Black's really cool. Uh, it's visually very good for a movie this cheap. Uh, Wasn't this like an Australian movie, Nathan? Uh, this movie was directed by David Twilley, produced by. Um, no, it's American. Are you sure? Yep. Mm, go ahead. But the guy who directed all of the, this movie direct is, has directed all of the Riddick movies. Though. So however you feel about this one, you're gonna feel, you should feel the same way about all the other ones too. Uh, I think this is a cool movie. Uh, the first one, I really like it. It's fun. Uh, it's fast. I like the. Uh, I it like was the plot. filmed in Queensland, Australia. There it is. Oh, they filmed in Australia because it's desert. It's like a big desert the whole yep. time. I just I know because the. Uh, but the release was U.S. The, I know the release was U.S. But like the filming and the crew, you can kind of tell by how the way the film looks to other movies shot around that time. Just something I noticed watching those movies. There's like a couple weird things in this movie. Uh, one, like when he tells everyone that like the girl's period blood is what's making the monsters able to find them. And then they're like, let's kill her then. <laughs> then he ends up like murdering the guy who was like most enthusiastic about killing her <laughs> as a decoy. Well, that's because uh, it's a, it's a girl that you think is like this boy. Yeah, they think it's a little boy. Like the whole movie, they they build she, it up. She portrays herself as a as a boy, and also like they they make it seem like uh, Riddick could smell the period blood or something. Like he's like a bear. I don't. Really... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's weird. They they try to make him cool in a completely weird way. Yeah. Like only Riddick knows that that's a female. Riddick is like turning everyone against each other too in the movie. He's kind of like. Because he because he wants to get off he basically wants to get off the planet by himself. I don't know if you mentioned this exactly, but he is supposedly like the worst of the worst criminals. Correct. Uh, he's he's a he's a terrible person too. They don't really say what he's done. So but... he's like Cyrus the virus from. <laughs> no, no, he's. A, I don't know. He's he's not a good guy though. Like this is. I remember the tagline for this movie was "Root for the bad guy." And um, yeah, something, anyway. something fight evil with evil. Yes. In the in the first movie, he is clearly a villain. Uh, but it, it's something really cool happens in the last scene, in the last uh, at the very end of the movie, which I don't know if we want to talk about. But it it basically is like Riddick turning over a, a new. Oh, movie. Should we do spoilers on a fourteen year old movie? It's, is it time? <laughs> no, I, I I love this movie. I thought that you know for the special effects being, I don't Low know budget. Low budget, and you couldn't really show the aliens too much. You could, I mean, if you watch it now, yeah, they definitely look dated. But I thought the directing was really well done, and I felt the characterization for as little as you need to know these characters that are getting killed off one by one. Uh, I thought it was good enough. 
And I thought that they did some really good, as we like to talk about here on the podcast, world building. You know, they they arrive on this planet, and it's like a desert. There's these giant, you know, mountain and what, structures that look like tubes, but there's huge bones all over the desert, like bones that they can just crawl into. And another thing, like, too, Eric, I like is they do that classic thing where they show you, they don't tell you. There's yes. not like there's not a bunch of weird exposition where they're telling you things about this planet. Like you said, there's just these great visuals that kind of explain the world to you, uh, which is pretty cool. And it all comes together and makes sense when when the creatures come out. How do you guys feel about the design of the of the aliens of the creatures, the the main bad guys? I think considering the budget that they're working on and the other circumstances, I think they did fine. I thought it was. I don't think I think it was exceptional, but I thought it was fine. I felt like at times it's too much. The, they're the, basically like aliens. They're almost xenomorphs, but hammerhead sharks. And raptors. Yes, they fly. They also have like a claw that comes out of their wrist. I think they wanted them to be swarming. And once they decided that, like, then the budgetary issues come in, right? Like, because they wanted it to be like, when it gets dark, there's just a billion of these things. And so then, yeah, you, it's really hard to make a billion of something look good for as cheap as this movie was, right? Yeah. That's that's the problem, in my opinion, with the, what they did. Uh, um, that's that's basically it for uh, Pitch Black. So let's go to Chronicle. Now we go to Chronicles of Riddick. Chronicles of Riddick is basically what if they said, "Hey, Pitch Black, let's make it instead of making it small scale, let's just blow it up and spend a hundred million dollars on it." Also, we're gonna hire sweet actors like Thandie Newton, Carl Urban, Keith David, Judy Dench, right? Like <laughs> Judy Dench, that's the best let's just, one. Let's Judy just Dench get a bunch of people. amazing roles. Let's just get a bunch of people in this movie. So um, Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, it follows like the tale of Riddick, and like Eric said, there's a lot of like corny backstory stuff about him being a Furian. Uh, they say like the eye shine, it was something, but also he was blessed in a Furian, and that's why it works differently for him than it does for anyone else. Or I don't know, it's, you know, there's a bunch of weird stuff like that in this movie. Um, I would say this movie is clearly worse than Pitch Black. <laughs> uh, this movie violates that you know show don't tell a lot more. Um, There's a lot of exposition. It's like he watched Dune a couple of times, and then was like, I'm going to make the next Riddick movie. That's pretty good, Kevin. They definitely take this movie out of bounds. So Pitch Black is just characters on a planet being led by a shady character that just makes him the star of the movie. Chronicles of Riddick is, let's make this guy a full-fledged hero, and he's going to save the universe. Yeah, and like Carl Urban, this Carl Urban character, the Lord Vaco, is weird. Like I cannot stress this enough. Well, it, Carl Urban, he's not a, he's like the lieutenant to the. But to at the that, not guy. not at the begin, not by the end of the movie. No, not by the end. He's the necromonger deluxe, deluxe, or what? I don't know, whatever. Him and Th- him and Thandie Newton are taking over. Like I don't know, it's a, this. There's some weird stuff going on in this movie. And my yes. uh, my favorite weird thing is. Dame Judy Dench as a wind elemental. <laughs> yep, I said it. Because right. she she does things like uh, you know they they attack her and she just kind of dances away. It's it's really bizarre. It kind of works, but at the same time doesn't it, at all. I think it works because you really like Judy Dench. No, Pitch Black. Okay. And also, can you call her Dame Judy Dench, please, Kevin? Show a little respect. Yeah. Uh, okay. So anyway. Uh, this movie ends with him and him and Carl Urban have some kind of like begrudging respect or something, and then uh, he becomes Riddick becomes like the king of the necromongers somehow. They basically it's rip off the very end of super uh, Conan, weird. the barbarian. So then 
because that movie sucked and also was weird, they waited a really long time to make the next one. They wait yeah, nine they years. 2013, they make Riddick, and they go back to their roots. It's $38 million. In the beginning of the movie, they basically burn the last movie to the ground. They're like, hey, it's five years after the last movie. Uh, Riddick is no longer wants to be the Lord of the Necromonsters. Necromo- Necromongers. So yeah. he, he makes a deal with uh, with Carl Urban that says, basically, tell me where Furia is. Give me a ship, and I'll never you'll never see me again. And he's like, deal. So then, uh, yeah, then he gets, of course, betrayed. Uh, and, yeah, and then he has to, it's basically the first movie over again. There's a bunch of, like, native Good call. demons and predators and stuff that he has to fight off on a weird planet with a bunch of, uh, like, B-level characters that, that are played by, exactly, like... exactly, you know, pitch black, but it's pretty dark and it's dave batista and bokeem bokeem woodvine are in this movie like they went down a level in actors from the last movie although i would argue bokeem woodvine is like the best i'd but, argue batista might be an upgrade too over yeah. everyone except for dame judy dench yeah so then yeah and then um you know at the end of the movie they riddick riddick departs into deep space like they they fight off a bunch of stuff they a bunch of stuff happens and then it's like the same as the end of the first movie right he like he barely escapes uh yeah, and then at the end of the okay, at the end of the extended version, there's an extra scene where uh, he like goes back to the Necromonger capital ship and like tries to get his revenge. And I will just say, I am so glad they cut that out of the movie, version of the movie I saw because that is dumb. Yeah, uh, I've heard about this, but I've never seen it. Yeah, because I think the ending of the movie where he's just like going back into space and like he's back on his journey. That's way cooler than like I'm going to get revenge on uh, Carl Urban and then find out that he's both dead and alive he's transcended the necromon like i don't want to hear about that weird lore that they built up in the second movie somebody on this writing team it's clearly fell in love with the necromonger thing and was like we're gonna take this necromonger angle and they're like it didn't work in the last movie and he's like no this would be sweet and they're all like no shut up you gotta remember though this is uh vin diesel's labor of love he loves riddick he loves being a part of Rick movies. He wants to keep doing them for as long as he can, but he doesn't want to do them every year. It's just like, I want to come back and revisit Riddick. Yeah, so what I like about this movie is it's it's basically pitch black over again, but 10 minutes too long. That's my opinion of this movie. Uh, like, it's it's good. It's, it reminds you of pitch black. Uh, people people either really like or really hate this movie for some reason. I, it was very divisive. Well, I think it's just kind of like a B-. minus. Uh, yeah, so... I would say if you liked Pitch Black, watch Riddick. You'll have fun. It's not the best, but it's it's going it's fun. I think the the key for movies like this, being someone who has not seen Riddick but has seen the other two movies, um, in my experience with many of these movies, you need to come in with proper expectations. Uh, if you overinflate your memory of Pitch Black of uh, Pitch Black, and remember it as being anything other than a, a super actiony, fun, interesting movie. <laughs> And if you think it's like some masterpiece, then you are not going to like Riddick. But if you come into it going, uh, "Yeah, this was uh, this was fun. It was cool," then you'll probably be in a good place for it. Yep, I agree. There. So the future of the Riddick series, I think this is something I always cover. Uh, they're making a movie called Furia, and Vin Diesel's. This is the all the information that's out there about it. You ready? Yep. They've started filming it. Are you guys excited to hear about Furia? Do you want to know where it all began with that dark character, Riddick? And my answer to that is not really, not really no. <laughs> I actually would rather you just like went forward with the Riddick character as opposed to going backwards. 
They're also making a spinoff TV series called Merc City, which they have not announced how it's connected to Riddick. Um, but the the Riddick movie, the the third movie in the series, sold really well on DVD, and it got us an extra one. And my suggestion to you guys is, instead of seeing Riddick 4 and uh, Merc City, City. <laughs> instead, of, instead of watching that stuff, because you're, what you're going to get is some, some B, B-minus sci-fi, instead, go home... And buy Dread in every format yes. you can, and then and then let's make Dread two come out because that uh, you know, movie you know, is Dread about is actually uh, getting its own series. Yeah, Dread is about a thousand times better than than uh, any of these Riddick movies. Uh, come at me on Twitter if you don't believe it. But that new Dread movie with Carl Urban is the fucking business. I Hashtag love that movie. Dread my Seahawks nest. <laughs> That's D R E D D. So yeah. Uh, and as Eric, as Eric said, they've been trying to get a Dread uh, thing off the ground. They there's like lots of rumors that Dread Metis, Mega City One is going to be a TV series and Urban's going to star in it, but nothing has fully materialized yet. It's all just like rumors and innuendo at this. I point. hope it pops up that like Amazon just took it. No, they want to get it on Netflix or Amazon because yeah. th- that's that's their a goal. good format. Uh, it's, it's supposedly it's Carl, a go. Carl Urban's Dread is is really good like i just can't stress enough i don't want i, don't I feel make this like a, it's the sci-fi version of john wick i don't want to make this about dread because uh, i feel like we one we've already done dread and two i think kevin still hasn't seen it it's not on any format i can get yeah it's kind of hard it is kind of hard to do but it is the it's probably the best visually movie that that's ever been made for 30 to 45 million dollars like that's, that's a really specific thing to say, well, that, but the, I understand what you mean. Well, that's because the budget has never been confirmed. They Some people say it cost $45 million to make. Other people say it was $30 million after tax credits they got for filming mostly in South Africa. So, so what you're saying is it's the best under $50 million visual movie you've ever seen? <laughs> it's visually incredible. It's so good. Um, so, yeah, that's my that's my uh, pit, dread pitch. Uh, in addition to, like, like I said, if you like Pitch Black, watch Riddick. It's fun. For Kevin Garber. For Eric Ronnebeck, I'm Nathan Sano, and we will see you next week. Go Hawks! Make the good times roll. No, I ain't got nothing but a.